Welcome to It's All About Jesus, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Eagle. You are listening to a Sunday morning message by Pastor Mike Sasso. If you would like to join us for church, we meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle, Idaho. You may also join us live streaming at that time. Go to cceagle.org at 10 a.m. to watch the whole service live. If you can't join us then, you can always go back and watch the video. Let's listen in to today's message. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. The Lord said to my Lord, which I, I capitalized that, that I, I underlined it there. See, this is David who was king when he wrote this. And he's writing this psalm and he said, The Lord said to my Lord. Lord God Almighty said to the one that's over me. So he's actually giving you a hint of the triune God. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies and make them a footstool under your feet. The Lord will extend your powerful kingdom from Jerusalem and you will rule over your enemies. When you go to war, your people will serve you willingly, and you are arrayed in holy garments, and your strength will be renewed each day like the morning dew. This is all prophetic from David long before Christ came in the flesh. It goes on to say in verse 4, The Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. One of the reasons I wanted to read all the way to verse 4 I want you to see the context of this. We've been studying Melchizedek. And I think five times already in Hebrews we've looked at Melchizedek and how Jesus is from the order of Melchizedek. And, and even the Apostle Paul kind of alluding to Christ waiting for his enemies to put under his feet. The Apostle Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 25. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Meaning, not God the Father. God the Father isn't under God the Son. Even in the Godhead, by the way, there's an authority structure. I was pointing this out at a wedding I did yesterday, that uh, just as uh, there's a husband and wife, and the husband is the head of the home, as Christ is the head of the church, and and Paul said that uh, God is the head of, uh, of Christ and Christ is the head of man and man is the head of woman. There's authority structure everywhere. But it doesn't, it's not demeaning. It's not like, oh, uh, in my house, you mean my husband is the head of the house? You know what? Think about it. In the triune, in the trinity, God the Father is the head of the Son in the trinity. It's an equality, unity, authority structure thing that makes things work, okay? Anyway, see, I'm going to try to repeat what I taught at the wedding. Stop. Move forward. It says here, when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who puts all things under him is accepted, meaning God the Father is not under God the Son. Now, when all things are made subject to him, the Son himself will also be subject to him who puts all things under him, 
that God may be all in all. I hope this doesn't freak you out because we've taught many times that Jesus is God and yet we see in the scriptures that when all is said and done, everything is going to be submitted to Jesus and Jesus is going to submit everything to his Father and God will be all in all. God will be in control. It shouldn't trip you out. It shouldn't confuse you or stumble you. Uh, well, I like the way Paul wrote to the Philippians. We all love this text where Paul said in Philippians 2.9, Therefore God has highly exalted him, speaking of Jesus Christ, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's an authority structure. It's not just Jesus Christ as Lord, period. It's Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. We've got to understand the authority structure, even in the very Godhead, in the Trinity itself, there's an authority structure, and that sh shouldn't trip you out. By the way, um, this quote that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, if you go back to the book of Isaiah, and I didn't put that in my notes, so I couldn't give you the address off the top of my head, but in the book of Isaiah, we're told that Isaiah prophesied that to God, the Lord God Almighty, Jehovah God, God the Father, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and give allegiance to him. And in the New Testament, Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. So, and by the way, if you, if you do that to anybody else but Jesus, God the Father would be jealous because I'm a jealous God. I'll have no other gods before me. You're not supposed to bow down before anything or anyone but the one true God. And yet God the Father is delighted that you and I would bow before Jesus Christ. Confess his name and, and, and submit to him as Lord. And so anyway, as I was looking through this and realizing that Jesus is sitting right now at the right hand of God the Father. And he's waiting for his enemies to be put under his footstool. Wouldn't it be great to do a study on when and where is that going to happen? And where in the book of Revelation is it? So those of you who are still meeting with, as the growth groups, because I know they're on break, some of you are still meeting, I've given you some text. In fact, if you want to look it up, it's Revelation chapter 19 into half of 20, and look at how Revelation describes these things, okay? So more for future study. Uh, the, by the way, those of you who are not in a growth group, the growth groups are designed to, to take what we learn on Sunday morning and go even deeper. I hope you don't think I'm going shallow anyway as it is. I'm not, I am going deep, but you can go deeper. There's always going to go deeper. What was it? I remember when I was teaching through uh, the Gospel of John. One commentator said of the Gospel of John that it's because it's, it's written in such a way that a child could understand it, but it's also got truths in it so deep that, that scholars could just go deep in it. They said that it's a pool shallow enough for a child to wade and deep enough for a scholar to dive. So I like that, just that, that whole concept of the scriptures. Okay, moving along in our text, verse 14 says this. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That's the verse I started with because there's some truths I want to make sure that you get today about the whole concept of I'm saved, yet I'm being saved, yet I'm going to be saved. You notice in this text, it uses the phrase perfected or perfected forever. 
perfected forever. And those of you, maybe you have a device that you could click on it and get the Greek and, and all that. I love, I love technology that helps you find things quickly. It actually just means we're, we're complete in him forever. There's nothing more. It's like there's, that's the difference between the cults and true Christianity. True Christianity is Christ died for me. I'm his. I'm perfected forever. I have been purchased and I'm his. I'm bought with a price. The cults will say, well, yeah, he kind of made a down payment. And now you've got to work your way and earn the rest of it. They may not say it that way, but that's how many of the cults lay it out. Is that, oh yeah, Jesus died on the cross for you, sure. But now you've got to do this, and you've got to do that, and you've got to jump through this hoop. And that's different, and it's legalism. But the scriptures say that we're perfected forever. That means if you die right now, if you're trusting in Christ as your Savior, and you've put your faith in Him, and you die right now, you're going to heaven. You're not going to purgatory to burn for a couple thousand years. You're not going to work, go to a place where you have to um, be, take a test. I've heard a lot of jokes about that. You know, the test before you can get into heaven, I'll save it for another time. But you're, gonna, you're perfected forever because our sin debt is paid. We don't have to pay our sin debt. But there's other things we're working on, isn't there? There's other things in our life that maybe I'm not like, uh, I, I, my sin's covered, I'm forgiven, but I'm working on other things so that I could rise up to be what Christ wants me to be. That's why in that verse, verse 14, it has that phrase, being sanctified. That means you're being made holy. That means you're being set apart. That means you're in process. And I put in the shepherd or sheep in the bulletin, we're all in process and everyone's in a different place. Have you noticed that? And you want to be careful not to look at somebody else and go, huh, you're not as far as long as I am. If you're a Christian, how come you're still doing that? I'm not, I don't do that. Stop it. You work on you. They'll work on them. You all keep your eyes on Jesus and keep moving forward, see. And so we've got to be careful because there's a real easy judgmental thing that people have is that you do that? <laughs> I haven't done that ever since I first accepted Jesus. Oh, aren't you special? That, that, that's not what we do. So we're being sanctified. We're all in process. But being sanctified is important. That process is important. I'm glad that I'm saved. I'm glad that if I die right now, I'm going to heaven. I have no fear that, oh, I hope I'm okay with it. I'm okay with God because Jesus made me okay with God. I'm glad of that. I'm relieved. But I'm not going to just kind of coast. I want to keep moving forward because God's goal for you and I is that we become more and more like Jesus. That when, when we're saved, we're saved not just to go to heaven. Did you know that? I don't know if I got it in my notes somewhere, but we're, we're not saved just to go to heaven. We're saved that we might be conformed to the image of his God's son, Jesus. You're saved that you might become more like Jesus. So you're, that's why we're all in process and we're progressing. I like the way David Gusek explained it. Gusek says this. This makes it plain that the work of Jesus is effective only for those who are being sanctified. The work of Jesus is capable of saving every human being, but it's only effective in saving those who are being sanctified. Now there's a thought. I had to scratch my head when I read that because it's like, so what about somebody who they said a prayer and now they're just living their life and they're not even thinking about God. They, they said a prayer once, they went forward to the church and, oh Jesus, save me. And then they went and lived their own life. 
That is not the plan. That is not the way it's supposed to go. And that's why Gusek used such harsh terms that this, this work of Jesus is only effective in as much as we're in that process. You need to be in the process somewhere. Some are further along than others, but we all need to be in the process of being sanctified and being set apart. And again, there's positional righteousness. There's practical righteousness. The positional righteousness is how God looks at me. He says, you're mine. You're saved. You're, it, it's kind of like if, if the uh, bank found that homeless person out on the street who is a millionaire and, and he's out on the street and you find him the banker would look at him like, oh, if you only knew. You are rich. He didn't look rich, but he's rich. Now, of course, the banker hopefully will wake him up and clean him up and tell him, now it's time to start living like you're rich. Now it's time to start living like who you are. You know, I, I meant to, and I don't think I included it in the, um, the notes for the, the growth groups this week, but I put them in, in in times past. I have this big long list on my computer of who, my, my identity in Christ, who I am now that Christ has saved me. You know, I'm the light of the world and all the different things God says about those who are his, okay? And that's what we need to do. We need to realize, though I may look like a beggar, I may look like a homeless person. I don't look very good. If you look at me, you may not be impressed. But you know what? I'm rich. I'm saved. I'm cleansed. I'm washed. I'm sanctified. And I'm on my way to heaven. And so our, our job now is to start getting up out of the street, get cleaned up, start living like who I am. You understand that? God has made you special. And now God wants you to Clean up and live like who you are. So, positional righteousness. Let me go over some of these verses. Second uh, Corinthians 5.21. I don't know if you've ever heard this before. But the Bible says that God made him who had no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And I've told you many, many times, this is God took on our sin, which treated Jesus took our sin on and it was treated the way we deserve to be treated, the way our sin deserves to be treated so that those of us who trust in him, we take on his righteousness. And then God treats us the way his righteousness deserves to be treated. You all know about the cross, right? You know how Jesus was treated on the cross? He was treated the way you and I deserve to be treated. As a sinner. And, and Jesus took all the wrath of God upon him as if he was you. And now when we put our faith in him, we put our trust in him, God, Jesus took our sin and God gives us Jesus' righteousness. And now God looks at us just like he looked at Jesus on the cross as turned his, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he was treating him the way you and I deserve to be treated. In order that as we trust in him, we receive his righteousness that's positional righteousness. We are righteous. God looks at us as righteous, treats us as righteous, but there's still some things in our everyday practical life that need to be fixed, right? And I want you to get this, and that's why Hebrews 10, 14 that, that I read earlier, for by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Interesting concept. Again, one paraphrase puts it like this, and I think it's kind of funny. It was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to, to perfect some very imperfect people. 
by that single offering, he did everything that needed to be done for everyone who takes part in the purifying process. I hope you're getting this because you realize who I am, who I need to act like. I need to act like and live like who I am. One more uh, fill-in that we need to go over. God has made us positionally righteous, or the slash is righteous or holy. Now, our life's goal is to bring our practical holiness up to the place where it matches our positional holiness. So, don't be frustrated. Just keep moving forward, okay? And I've told you before, one of the things the Lord taught me there was a time, and I don't know if you're at that time right now, there was a time when there was a one particular sin that kept coming up in my life. And I'm like, oh, I did it again. God, help me overcome this. Forgive me in Jesus' name. And you confess it and you go through all the, And then you go on and before you know it, oh, I did it again. And finally I got to the point where I says, Lord, how could you keep forgiving me when you know I keep doing this? And I really feel like clearly the Lord showed me because I see a day when that sin is behind you. I see the future. I see a day when that process is finished and you're no longer struggling with it. So I'll keep washing you. Just keep moving forward. Or as uh, Dory said, keep on swimming. Just keep on moving forward. It's good stuff, okay? So now we're in Christ, Ephesians 2.13. We're seated in the heavenlies with Christ, Ephesians 1, 3. But we're all in, pro in process, practically. Now, verse 15, because we will finish our text today. We're, uh, verse 15 says this. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after that, he said before, and he quotes another Old Testament scripture. I want to point something out before I quote it. When the Bible is being quoted by a New Testament writer, he's saying the Holy Spirit said this. Isn't that something? So the Holy Spirit is speaking through the scriptures. Even quoting David or quoting the prophets, quoting Old Testament, it's the Holy Spirit speaking. So you know, I think I told you before, people wrestle over who wrote the book of Hebrews. Was it Apollos? You know, was it Paul? I mean, I had to listen to some of my favorite teachers and they know who wrote it. It's definitely Paul or it's definitely Apollos or it's Cephas. Or they, they always have their theories and I finally figured out who wrote the book of Hebrews. The Holy Spirit. Okay, so it's a safe answer there. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies. So verse 15 goes on to say, but the Holy Spirit witnesses to us for after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. He's quoting Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. And then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. I like that. And that's a quote from Jeremiah. So let me take you back to Jeremiah. I always like to take a New Testament quote of an Old Testament text and read a little bit more context of it. Let me just read it to you. Jeremiah 31, 31 says this. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. In that day I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, my covenant which they broke. Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will write my laws in their mind and write it on their heart, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
you know what? God says the old covenant, you couldn't do it. You proved it to me by you, you, the covenant that you broke. You know what the first covenant is? The first covenant is the covenant that you broke. The second covenant is the covenant that I made that I'm going to write it in your heart. It goes on to say, let me find out where I left off here. Verse, well, let's start at verse 33. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I'll write my laws in their minds. I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. Listen, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man to his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Now this is fulfilled ultimately in the millennial reign um, that you're gonna, not going to go, Hey, have you heard about Jesus? <laughs> They're going to all know the Lord. And he says, For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. I love the new covenant. I love what Jesus brings to us. I love the relief of knowing that I'm forgiven and knowing that he's written his will in my heart. And the new covenant believer can say that his sins and iniquities are remembered no more. And that's what quoted verse 18 here of our text. Our final verse of the text today says, Now where there is remission of sins, there's no longer an offering for sin. If the sin is forgiven, you don't, have to, you don't need a sacrifice for that sin because it's forgiven. The end of the need for sacrifices. So remember that the Old Testament sacrifices were just pictures of Jesus. And they were, they were merely covering, kofar, a covering of sin. But they didn't erase them. And so the conclusion of this text is that when sins have been forgiven, and when sins have been completely taken away permanently, there's no need for any more sacrifices. So, the superior sacrifice of Christ has made the entire sacrificial system of the Old Covenant obsolete. Well, good thing, because we don't have a place to go. We don't have the system set up anymore, right? But we could rest in the sacrifice of Christ and go, thank you. It is finished. No more offering for sin. No more remembrance of sin. And in Christ... That promise of David is fully realized when he wrote back in Psalm 103. He says, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. By the way, this is Old Testament, but it's the same God, okay? Some people think, well, the God of the Old Testament isn't the same as God as the God of the Old Testament. You better believe it's the same God. Matter of fact, there's Psalm 103 is a great picture. It's the same God, like a father pitying his children. Now, I want to end tonight. We're going to have communion in a moment, by the way. I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, and I'll give you instructions. Don't worry if, if you didn't receive a communion element on the way in. We're going to play a song and give you during that song opportunity to go get the elements. But let me just close. I, there's a couple of Spurgeon quotes that I found that I really appreciate. Spurgeon said this, The Christ who died on Calvary's cross will not have to die again for my new sins or offer fresh atonement for any sacrifices that I may yet commit. No, but once for all gathered up the whole mass of his people's sins into one colossal burden and then he took it upon his shoulders and flung the whole of it into the sepulcher where he once slept. And there it's buried, 
never to be raised again to bear witness against the redeemed anymore forever. Don't you love it? One more, I said a couple uh, Spurgeon quotes. Uh, by the way, I don't spend a lot of time reading Spurgeon, but some of the commentaries I read always quote Spurgeon, and so I get them for free right there in the commentaries, okay? So, uh, another one by Spurgeon. The work of Jesus for atonement is finished. If it is not enough for us, then nothing will be. God has set forth Christ for you as a guilty sinner to rest upon. And if that is enough for you, if that's not enough for you, more, what more would you have? Christ has offered himself and died and suffered in our stead and gone into his glory. And if you cannot depend upon him, what more will you have to do? Shall he come and die again? You've rejected him once. Would you reject him though he died twice? So the point made is that, you know, if Jesus isn't enough, what will be enough? So maybe today and maybe even on live stream or later on radio or somebody here in our midst, there's somebody feeling like the sacrifice of Jesus. Yeah, I'm grateful, but it can't cover what I just did. It can't cover my sin. I'm worse than everyone else. Have you ever felt like that? That's the lies the devil loves to whisper in your ear. That's the, one of the most popular lies the devil loves to say is that, oh no, Jesus died, but for your sin, your sin can't be washed by Jesus' blood. It's a lie. It's a lie. And it's a, probably one of the most popular lies of Satan. So what I want to do is we're going to have communion in a moment. And whatever it is that you struggle with that you think that you haven't been able to believe Jesus forgives you of, would you bring it to him and realize that's an insult to God. The blood of Jesus, precious the blood of the Father shed through the Son. It was the blood of His own, what the Bible says. Don't insult God by saying, it's not enough. It is indeed enough. Jesus died for you, and it is enough to cleanse any sin. So when we have communion, I want you to take whatever you're struggling with and pour it before the Lord and put it at the feet of Jesus. And of Jesus. hope you enjoyed today's program. You can find all of Pastor Mike's messages and any other information you would like about Calvary Chapel Eagle online at cceagle.org. In iTunes, you can subscribe to the podcast Calvary Chapel Eagle Sunday morning. If you are new to the area and don't already have a home church, we would love for you to come check us out. We meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle. That is one block north of Highway 44. You can call or text the church phone at 208-891-2635. Once again, you can get any information you need at cceagle.org. There you will also find a link to join our Facebook page. So until next time, remember, it's all about Jesus. Yeah, the power of His name.